Well, I want to be upfront with you as we wrap up this series of messages, One Life, You Gotta Do Something. This is not going to be a message you like. You say, well, I don't like many of you preach anyway, but that's okay. This one is a tough, tough message. Because we, we're going to look at a tough passage of Scripture in James chapter 2. But we're also going to kind of cut through some of the, some of the phoniness that we project as Christians and somehow we think that it's faith. All right? So because this is a tough one, I want you to know that in James chapter 2 verses 14 through 26, 12 verses, but I'm just going to give you one point. All right? It's 12 verses, but I'm going to give you one point. All right? Here's the point. God talk without God acts is worthless. God talk without God acts is worthless. I want to say it one more time because we can, we, we, we say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah I kind of I get that thing. You know, your walk's got to match your talk and, and your talk's got to match your walk. And I get all that kind of stuff. But I want to say it one more time. God talk without God acts is worthless. You, you see, this morning I want to talk about real faith. Now in our culture, if you put real in front of anything, man, it sells, you know? Everybody just thinks it's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's the same stuff. They just put real in front of it, and we think it's better or whatever. Like there's real coffee, you know. We think there's like real men don't eat real quiche, you know, real TV, you know. Coke is the real thing. We think that if we put real in front of it, it's, it's I want to talk to you about real faith. And James, what James has to say about real faith, man, it's tough. It's not easy. But it's true. Now, I do want to say that what James is talking about is faith and works. And a lot of people will, will say, now, wait a second, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Paul is saying that salvation is by faith alone. I agree. James is saying that once you're saved, your faith will evidence itself, show itself in faith. I agree. In the Greek language, Paul and James both use the same word, but yet it carries different weight and different meaning. For example, if I was to say the word ball, B-A-L-L, some of you might think of soccer ball, baseball, basketball. My team, Ohio State, didn't play football yesterday, but that's all right. You would think of a noun. You would think of an object. Well, then I could say not only... Are we, is that there's a ball, but we could go play ball. And that if we went to play ball, we would go play a game involving a ball. Or I could look at you and say, I'm having a ball. And that means I'm having a great time. And so it's the same word, but it carries different weight and different meaning. Paul and James use the same word, but it carries different weight and different meaning. Paul was using the word works, that works is not the foundation of your faith in Jesus Christ. Faith does not save you. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. The issue of your being placed, born again, adopted into the family of God is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Period. What James was saying is not the foundation of faith. James is talking about the demonstration of faith. 
James is saying, now that you are part of the family of God, when an almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-creative, all-powerful God is at work in your life somewhere, somehow, that divine working of God in your life has got to bust out and show itself. Amen? You know, Don talked about him and Amy, and we know that they're like the, the love couple, you know. Tara and I have been married 28 years. And I, I tell this to couples who are getting married all the time. If you want to do your own thing when you want to, come and go when you want to, do your own thing, live as you please, there's a word for that. It's called single. But when you get married, there's a responsibility to the other. The marriage doesn't stop the moment you say, I do. Matter of fact, then it begins this lifetime of demonstrating the foundation of that relationship of love through acts of love. The process of faith does not stop when you say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. That the process doesn't end there. Then it is lived out, the demonstration of that faith is lived out. So I want to be upfront. Works does not save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ by the grace of God saves you. But just as I love my wife and do things for my wife and she loves me and she does far more for me than I do for her, I will be upfront with that. But I'm telling you that it is, it is faith in Christ alone that is the foundation of our faith. But works that James is talking about is the evidence. It's the demonstration of our faith. So James was saying that God talk without God acts is worthless. Now, we've all heard it in church work before, haven't we? That in church as well within it, in any organization is that God talk, or I'm sorry, is that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You've heard that, right? 20% of the people give 80% of the money. 20% do the 80%. And I would imagine that's probably, we're probably a little higher than that here, but let's just say if we, we're, let's just say we're at 40% of the people doing 60% of the work. And yet we walk around and a lot of people will say, oh man, you've got such a good church. Kirby's such a good church. How can we be such a good church if 60% of the church is walking in disobedience? Because there's three things that God wants us to do. He wants us to connect with him. He wants us to worship him. Not a Sunday morning only experience. But he wants us to worship, to connect with him every day of our lives. Second, he wants us to grow. He wants us to learn something new, something fresh about him. He wants us to communicate with him. We call that prayer. He wants us to grow. And third, he wants us to serve. If you do the first one without the second two, it's an incomplete faith. If you do the second one without the first and the third one, it's an incomplete faith. If you do the third only one, that's, that's philanthropic activity, that's not faith at all. James will make the point that God talk without God acts is worthless. Look at verse 14. James opens this dialogue up and he basically starts, he says, what good is it, my brothers? Oh, by the way, this isn't a new conversation for James. It goes all the way back to the end of the first chapter of James 1. And really it concludes on to the middle of the latter person's person, chapter, parts of chapter 4. That this whole thing that, that faith evidences itself 
in works. Works does not save you. I'm telling you, and I want to make this absolutely clear. You can come to church from now till Jesus comes. You can give all of your goods from now till Jesus comes. You can give every dollar that you earn from now till Jesus comes. You can sing every praise song, worship song, every, every special song from now till Jesus comes. You can cut the grass out here and clean dishes and do all kinds of stuff around here from now till Jesus comes. That will not get you into heaven. It is only when Jesus comes into your heart because you have confessed your sins that forgives you of your sins does that put you on the road to heaven. But on the road to heaven, that inner working of Jesus Christ built on the foundation of faith and grace in him will be demonstrated by showing God's good work to others, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, so that they may see his good works or our good works, but glorify our Father which is in heaven. So to think that you can sit back on the, and we don't have pews, we got chairs, but to think that you can sit back on the chair and do what you want to do and come and sing and, and leave with no evidence, no demonstration of your faith is wrong theology. It's unbiblical and, it is a, and, it, and you are making a mockery of the cross of Jesus Christ when you do so. Some people say, well, pastor, I've paid my dues. Really? Let me tell you when you paid your dues. When Jesus says, time's up, come on home. Until then, you keep serving. Some of you say, well, pastor, I've been burned by people. I know, we're going to sell t-shirts around here one day. I survived church folk. I know that. That doesn't give you an that does not give you a biblical excuse to stop demonstrating the foundation of your faith, and that's Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm just not sure if I'm going to stay or go ahead and really made up my mind. Well, I tell you what, why don't you be biblical and just do something for the kingdom while you're making up your mind? See, we come up with all these excuses. And he says, what good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds, he has no works. Can such faith save him? He's saying, is that really true faith? If you say you have faith, but your faith does nothing, can a man, does he have the right to say, does a woman have the right to say that that's true faith? And again, what Paul is talking, or what James is talking about, is not the nature of faith, but he's talking about the demonstration of faith. Look at verse 15. James gives a hypothetical situation. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. And James frequently wrote about the poor. It's a realistic illustration that was common to most in that day and certainly to a lot of us here. And he said, if one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be fed. By the way, that is one of the highest Hebrew or Jewish blessings that one person could give to another. So when James used this, I mean, it was like going, oh, wow. Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But he does nothing about his physical needs. What good is it? Listen, 
I'm gonna, if, if James was going to translate this verse today, here's how James would say it. If you say to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and be well fed, and you don't do anything about his physical needs, hello, what good is it? See, I'm convinced that when a holy God of this universe who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son for us, that whosoever wills would believe in him and not perish but have everlasting life. When that God lives in our heart, when the, when the holiness of God and the love of God reside in our heart, I'm telling you, when there is divine activity through the Holy Spirit of God going on your, in your soul, it will bust out somewhere. But a lot of us think that coming to church is this great big act of faith. Some of us think that just by showing up, we've done the Lord's duty. No. Listen, this guy who gave the blessing knew exactly what the problem was. This guy was cold and he was hungry, and yet he did nothing about it. Man, if you want to find out what to do, if you want to demonstrate your faith, you don't have to look very far. Lori Belzac this past summer looked around her and, and saw that a number of children would go without food that her kids went to school with. So she thought, well, we'll have a summer lunch program. And they did, and she did. Kristen Anthony has this cool little thing at where she works at children's hospitals where they'll do heroes and princesses parties and, and they'll do a Christmas party where, man, I'm telling you, the kids who were in the hospital at that time, man, whatever the big gift is, man, that's what they get. They just looked around and saw a need. The idea is that you serve in Jesus' name. That if you have true faith, true faith will evidence itself in true works. Not works to boast you up, but works to lift the name of Jesus higher. So that he gets all the glory and he gets on the honor. And he says, can such faith save me? He says, what good is it? Then he gives another, he gives the answer to that. He says, in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by actions, is dead. He said, it's a corpse. It's a corpse. Now, if I die today, you guys have heard me say this. If I die today, man, I've told my wife and I've told my boys over and over, I don't want the open casket, you know, because I, I really... You know, I, I've heard too many people walk by and they look at somebody who's dead and, oh, they look so good. And I know what they mean, but, dude, I'm dead. I've told my wife before, if I die on Monday morning, marry somebody else on Monday night, you know? I mean, just move on with it, you know? I'm in heaven, man. I, I'm home, you know? Just move on. It's all right. It's good. You say, what if y'all don't like the next guy? Not my problem. I'm in heaven. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. A lot of you are CSI fans, NCIS fans, and all of those 
where they do the autopsies and all that kind of stuff, and you've seen the coroner come, and he takes the pulse, and he takes the blood pressure, and if there's no sign of life, the coroner, the medical examiner, pronounces the person dead. Jesus, or Paul, James was saying that the life of Jesus Christ should be so vibrant in you that if it doesn't move you to do something, if it doesn't move you to worship, if it doesn't move you to pray, if it doesn't move you to serve others in Jesus' name, not so that you feel good about it, because serving others isn't about you, man. It's, it's about giving glory and honor to the king. And if it doesn't move you to serve him, you don't have a pulse, you don't have a heart rate, you don't got nothing going on spiritually. He said, your faith is a corpse. That's what the word dead means. It's a corpse. Then he goes on to verses, verse 18. He gives an imaginary response. He just said, but some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. James makes this statement. He said, you show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Basically, that phrase, by what I do, it means to emerge from who I am. So that I do what I do. Faith in Christ first. But faith in Christ, the true nature of faith, will evidence itself in, in a demonstration of your love for Christ. See, here's the thing. I love my wife, but I don't... I love my wife, and because I love my wife, I don't take a vacation with your wife. And that... Isn't that revolutionary? Because I love my wife, I take a vacation with my wife. I love my wife, so I build her a deck thinking that would make her happy. Then I had to stain the deck thinking that would make her happy. God in infinite wisdom put a western sun on the deck side of my house. Zip the stain right off my deck. My wife once again expects, because I love her, not only to stain the deck, but before we stain the deck now, we've got to strip this deck. Do you know what? I hate decks. <laughs> but I love my wife, so we'll fix the deck. You see, Jesus didn't say, I'm going to get you to do what you love doing. Sometimes we get to do what we love doing in the kingdom, and man, that is a blast. But sometimes we just got to do the hard work. Sometimes you just got to get down because people are messed up. People are messed up because they come from messed up homes. We live in a messed up world. We live in a messed up community. And Jesus Christ is the only thing that will straighten us out. And so what Paul James was saying is he says, listen, you run around saying, I got faith, I got faith, I got faith, and you do nothing. He says, you got nothing. You say, well, I don't like that. Well, you read James 2 and you come up with something different. What he is saying is that I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Good. Amen. Well done. He says even the demons believe at that and they shudder. 
James did two things there. Number one, he said, listen, you can have right theology but wrong living. You can have right theology but wrong living. He said, the culture around James's day believed in many gods and polytheism. They believed in many gods. And James said, hey, listen, you have a monotheistic belief in Jehovah Yahweh of the Old Testament. Amen. Good. But the demons, the devils believe that. And then James says they go farther than you do because they recognize the holiness of God and because they understand the holiness of God better than you understand the holiness of God. He goes, and they shudder. He says, God talk without God acts is worthless. Look at verse 20. He says, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So he goes, he's basically saying, hey, listen, this isn't something new. If you think I'm making this up, let me go back all the way to the beginning. Go back to the book of Genesis. The next verse, he talks about Abraham. Was not Abraham our ancestor considered righteous for what he did? What did he do when he offered his son Isaac? But if you don't know the story, it's in Genesis chapter 22. How Abraham, who is now, as we know, called a friend of God. He was an old man. God gave him a child when he was old. And now that child would become the, the prodigy or the, the beginning of the nation of Israel throughout who the whole world would be blessed. And then God tells Abraham to take his only son, Isaac, to Mount Moriah's mountain range, to a peak that he would show him, build an altar, which was the custom of that day, to take a curved knife so you could slit the throat of a ram, a lamb, or an oxen. Have it properly bound and tied up. Lay it on the altar. Kill it. Sprinkle the blood for a covering of your sins. And then have a burnt sacrifice to the holiness of God. So God woke Abraham up one night and said, listen, on the morrow I want you to get up. And you're going to take your son, your only son Isaac. You're going to take him to a mountain peak that I'm going to show you. And there you're going to offer him as the sacrifice. You say, what? God doesn't do that. Read Genesis 22. I don't understand all the moral dilemma. I can't explain all of the theological implications and ramifications of it. I'm just simply saying, that's what God did. And when we get to heaven, you pick it up with him when you get there. And so here's Isaac, and he's so thrilled because at 12 or 13, it was every son's joy to go worship with his father. And the first sacrifice, it was a rite of passage for a, for a child in the Hebrew life. So they went. He got up early in the morning. Had the knife in, his, in the sheath. And with every step he could feel it just brush against his thigh. Had the donkey with the firewood on it. And the rope. And Isaac, he's so excited. He looks into the loving eyes of his father. And he says, Father. says, we have the wood. And we have the knife. And we have the, the rope. We've got everything. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, here's faith, God will provide. Have you ever lost a child? I am in that band of merry parenting people who have lost a child, yes. 
And if you've lost a child, man, your head is just on a swivel, right? Man, you are looking for anything, anyone. You're looking for people who are mean looking, sad looking, ugly looking. You're looking because you know somebody has done, kidnapped your baby. I mean, you know that feeling, right? Man, your head is on a swivel. You are looking around. And and when you are one of those parents, it's not hard to spot other parents who have misplaced children. If you're sitting at a basketball game in high school, you can see parents all the time. They're watching their older son play, and then all of a sudden they realize, I hadn't seen little Johnny in a while. And all of a sudden they stand up straighter, and their head starts spinning around, and they're looking. I would imagine Abraham's head is on a swivel. Man, he's looking for any way out. They get closer and closer to the top. They erect an altar two foot wide, three foot long, probably two and a half, three foot high. He's looking. Nobody there but him and his son Isaac. God is amazingly amazingly silent. And Isaac is ready. I mean, the wood is there now around the, down the altar. And, and he's going, Father, where's the sacrifice? And he says, Isaac, stick out your hands. Isaac puts his hands out. He doesn't know what's going on. And his dad takes the cord. Abraham does. And he ties up the hands of his son Isaac. And in that moment, that 12 or 13-year-old kid understood he was the sacrifice. I don't know what made him not run. I would think that most teenagers can outrun a guy who's 110. Well, maybe you could. Maybe you can't. I don't know. And I don't know what transpired on that day. I am sure Abraham probably said... <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, if your dad, wouldn't you say, son, I, I don't know what's going to happen, and I want you to know, son, no matter what happens, I love you, but I want you to know that I love God in heaven more. And he took the knife out of his, and he raised it, and was right at the apex of the swing, and God spoke from heaven, and he said, Abraham, do thy son no harm, because I know you now love more, you, I know now that you love me more than your son Isaac. And his head scooped down, his hands and head scooped down, reached up, grabbed his son Isaac. He probably swung him around and over there. He saw a lamb, a ram caught in a thicket. God did provide. So when James dropped the name Abraham, it was like everybody went, oh yeah, Abraham, oh great guy, wonderful guy, friend of God. Abraham, fantastic. And he said, Abraham had faith. But we would have known nothing about Abraham's faith unless he demonstrated that faith and walked up Mount Moriah. Then he went to the other end of the, of, of the spectrum. He went to a, a prostitute named Rahab. Look at, the, look at uh, the next verse. By the way, verse 24, he makes the point. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. He's saying faith and works are meshed together when we are adopted into, placed in the family of God. The works that James is talking about is the demonstration of salvation. Then he said in verse 25, even in the same way, Rahab the prostitute was considered righteous where what she did. 
And she was a prostitute. And the spies came to spy out the land in a city called Jericho. And the king heard about it and, and sent men to find these spies in the land and no doubt to execute them. So she hid them. And because she was, because she hid them, this prostitute was spared when Israel captured the city of Jericho. Not only was she spared, but because she was accepted into Israel as part of that family and community, she became part of the lineage and the heritage of Jesus Christ. Why is it, would, would we have ever known about Rahab's faith if she did nothing? If all she did was just show up, sit in the church and, and go home? Listen, I know a lot of sinners who show up here. A lot of times their attendance is better than a lot of yours. Faith, true faith, will evidence itself in true works. God, act, God talk without God acts is worthless. Again, we ask you to, to connect with God. Then we ask you to grow. Then we ask you to serve. And a lot of you love the connecting. You love Sunday worship. But I'm telling you, connecting is a Monday deal and a Tuesday deal. And a Wednesday, worship is an is a everyday deal. And then you've got to grow. And some of you love growing. You love going to your life group and your small groups and your ABFs and all the other initials we throw around out here that most folks don't know what they mean. And, and you go to all that kind of stuff and it's good, it's great. No, oh, I love Jesus. I'm learning so much. Well, what are you doing with what you're learning? God doesn't put into you so you can feel better about your knowledge. He puts into you, helps you grow so you can do something with that knowledge. Verse 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is a corpse. I'm telling you, verse 20 and verse 26 are really hard to get around. And some of you could sit back and say, well, I've done my time. I've paid my dues. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too new in faith. I'm too old in faith. I'm too this. I'm too that. I'm too this. I'm too that. Just look at verse 20 and 26 and, and tell God what you're going to do with them. He says, true faith. True faith will evidence itself in true works. When you have the Holy Spirit of God working in your life somewhere, God will bust out. So let me make sure you got the main point again. God talk without God acts is worthless. I am not saying you work your way into heaven. I am saying that you accept Jesus Christ and his free grace by faith because what he did on Calvary's cross, and I'm saying that decision is so radical, it is so life transformational that it will have a demonstrating effect and it will show everybody that you love Jesus. So let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not something you say. 
Faith is not something you feel. Faith is not something you think. Faith is just not something you believe. It is that, but it is also faith that is something you do. It is something you do. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? I really struggled. The hardest part of this message for me was was how to bring it to a conclusion. Because I believe that real faith stimulates action. I, I think that if you have Jesus Christ and he changed the tune of your life, I do think your life song will sing for him. I think it's more than a feeling. I think it's more than the way you think. I think it's more than what you say. It is absolutely what you believe, but it is what you believe and what you do. You say, well, I haven't done anything. Yeah, I know. And the kingdom of his God is waiting for you to show up. I want to give you a challenge. And I went back in the prayer room after the first service and, and, and got a little, little spanking because in the first service, I gave them 30 days to find something to do. And in my just kind of just asking God to help give me a little more clarity, he just went, really? Really? Really, Mike, you think it's going to take somebody 30 days to figure this out? You think it's going to take 30 days for them to see a need and meet it? You think it's going to take 30 days for them to find somebody who's hurting and step up to the plate? You think it's going to take 30 days? See, the fact of the matter is most of you know somebody, you've already talked with somebody who might be discouraged. Meet that need. Just meet that need. You step up and you meet that need. You do, you do what God wants you to do. So here it is, man. In the next seven days, man, if you're on the sidelines... And if you are not in the game, if you talk the talk, but you don't step out and walk the walk because you're afraid it's going to get messy. Yeah, it's going to get messy. You're afraid you're going to get burned. Probably will. But I'm telling you, man, it is worth it. Because once you start serving, man, you start connecting with God on a whole nother level. You start growing at a deeper level and then serving takes on new meaning. Man, I want to pray for you. I really do. And whether you're here this morning and you're part of that 80%, that 60%, sits back and lets others do all the work, man, I'm telling you, whether in church or outside this church, there is a world. There is a world who needs you? And I'm telling you, we blow it. Goodness knows I'm on the blowing it side far more than I'm on the right side of it. And we can give all kinds of excuses, but man, when there's people who are hurting and you blow it, you just got to let them know. Blow it. And so here's the deal. Next seven days get off the pew, get off the chair, get off the bench, get in the game. Let your God acts match your God talk so that your faith has life. Now here's the prayer. 
I wonder if you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, I'm really not doing a thing. I'm learning, but I understand now there's more. Pastor, pray for me. I want to do and I want to be faithful. I want to have a living, vibrant, growing faith in Christ. Nobody's looking around. Not anybody up front, not anybody around. And I just want to know, would you just raise your hand quickly where you sat and say, Pastor, I want to get in the game. Thank you so much. And just raise it. Thank you. And you just hold it up just a little bit. Give me a little time to scan. Would you stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Our Heavenly Father, because you are our Father and we're your children, you demand obedience as an evidence of our faith.